Welcome back to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. A few weeks ago, I did a podcast on short-term mission trips, and in that podcast, I said that I was uh, going on a short-term mission trip this summer with a team from Gateway Seminary. I I did that. I've just returned, and I'd like to talk a little bit in a follow-up about the the trip experience and make some more reflections about the value of short-term missions and some of the uh, good things that we did, and I think some things that we demonstrated as a part of our trip that really made uh, uh, made the trip successful and profitable. Uh, also, uh, just some share, I'd like to share some personal reflections about the trip because for me it was a very meaningful and uh, very uh, enriching experience spiritually. Uh, first of all, we went to South Asia and we worked in partnership with some personnel from the International Mission Board. Uh, we tried to plug into their strategies and help them with ongoing work that they had in the area. Uh, And I emphasize that because if you remember from the previous podcast, I talked about one of the negatives of short-term missions is when you go into an an area and you impose on them what you want to do for them rather than serve them and accomplish something that's a part of their ongoing strategy. And so uh, our team went to plug in and accomplish part of the ongoing strategy. And so our uh, trip really, at least my part of the trip was twofold. I, I was a part of the first part of my trip was uh, participating with our team in uh, personal evangelism strategies. And then the second part of my trip was leading a pastor's training conference. But the second part of the trip for the rest of the team was to go in direct support of some um, projects that were being done related to evangelism and discipleship. So let's talk first of all about uh, some experiences with street witnessing. Uh, We had some basic training in Luke 10 strategies. If you read the first few verses of Luke 10, you'll remember that this is the passage where Jesus sent out 72 disciples two by two and said, uh, go into a community, look for a person of peace, uh, make a relationship, uh, share the gospel, enjoy their hospitality, and uh, stay there as long as you find the work profitable. And so that's what we did. Uh, We went into uh, neighborhoods and met people and because we were in a culture that values hospitality and because as foreigners we were looked upon in some ways as sort of oddities and wondering what we were doing in their neighborhood that kind of thing we had no difficulty at all uh, within just a few minutes of being in a neighborhood uh, establishing a relationship with a person of peace and in many cases being invited into their homes or being welcomed into their businesses or into their small shops and having the opportunity to have dialogue with them about the gospel. Just a couple of examples of this. Uh, On the first day, I went out with a team that included a a, a woman student and a female translator. And so I was uh, kind of along for the ride, if you will. I told them that they should set the pace and engage women primarily, and that I would find a way to participate either uh, in prayer or by working with some men or something like that. Now, the culture that we were in was not was not one that prohibits men from talking to women or women from talking to men, but I just wanted to give the student uh, the, the, the lead, if you will, and let them have the opportunity to share the gospel as, they, as she could. So we went down the street, and uh, she encountered a woman that was preparing food in a little kiosk outside a shopping area and started talking with her, and then uh, I kind of slipped over to the side and let that conversation run its course. It uh, started out with the student sharing, the, uh, sharing a little bit of life with this woman, and then 
the woman called for her mother and some of her uh, other relatives and then her husband, and there was a little group that formed there. And the student was sharing the gospel with them and having a dialogue. And this went on for quite some time, actually. Um, I think they were out there for probably an hour, hour and 15 minutes of, of dialogue and conversation time. Now, this uh, is kind of a funny part of the story, but I drifted over a little ways away and was praying and waiting, and, uh, but I was standing in front of a, of a business. And when I say business, I'm talking about a, a, a little store that looks like a double car garage. It's a concrete box with two roll-up doors on the front, and it's a part of you know dozens and dozens of these that are all over this community. Uh, and as I'm, as I'm standing there waiting and watching my student and the translator do their work, uh, a man came out of the store and motioned to me to come over, and he offered me a chair. And so I, took, I went over and greeted him, and then he had me, you know, come on in the store, and I went on in the store. And when I got inside, I was delighted to discover that this was a little store that sold air conditioning units, and he had one turned on for display purposes. And so while our team is out in 95-degree, 90-plus humidity weather, sharing the gospel all over the community, I'm sitting in an air-conditioned store talking to these two men and trying to establish a relationship to share the gospel with them. It was quite an experience. Uh, the men really wanted to talk with me, and so they called a friend who spoke English, put that friend on their speakerphone. By the way, everybody has a smartphone in the whole world these days. Put it, put it on speakerphone, and so I would talk to uh, them in English, and the person on the speakerphone would translate it, and then the translation would come back to me in English, and we did this for a little while. And then the person on the phone said they had to go, and so they left, and then my, friend, my new friends still wanted to keep conversing, and so we started using Google Translate to try to talk to one another because my translator's outside on the front of the store around the kiosk area sharing the gospel with these women, and I'm in the downstairs in the store doing my best to try to get the communication going through Google Translate. They sent out for food. We had uh, some street vendor food. We had some soft drinks. I mean, these guys were really welcoming and really glad to talk about uh, uh, you know, not only the gospel, but our families and business and all kinds of things that they wanted to ask me about. Well, the next day, um, another team went out, and this just gives you a sample of what happened. And one of our men went out uh, on a team of three guys, and, uh, and no, excuse me, it was a guy and a woman and a male translator. And so they go out together, and uh, he engages some young men on a street corner and uh, starts talking with them, and then they, they call over some of their friends, and then some women came up and joined, and then some other older men came, and they later reported that there were between 50 and 70 people that gathered on the street corner, and so our student went from sharing the gospel with a few people to actually preaching on this corner and having an ongoing sort of a, a street preaching type dialogue with people about the gospel. Uh, so these are the kinds of things that we did. Uh, we also were able to visit in homes. Uh, going into homes uh, in these neighborhoods uh, was not difficult. When I say a home, I'm talking about a one- or two-bedroom apartment that was in a concrete or brick box-type apartment building. Uh, and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty basic accommodations, but certainly uh, warm and inviting accommodations as people had us uh, into their homes. So that was the first part of my trip, which was uh, street evangelism, uh, street witnessing. Uh, we did that for the first three days and had just uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that evidenced interest in the gospel and a number of people that prayed and received Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, you know, you think that was a genuine conversion? You think they really understand what they were doing? 
Um, I don't know about that. All I know is that people heard the gospel and some rejected and some received. And that's what the Bible says always happens when the gospel gets shared. Now, the churches that we were working with, because we were plugged into an ongoing strategy, the churches that we're working with have members living in these neighborhoods where we were working. And so uh, the people who came there, uh, committed themselves to Christ uh, gave us follow-up information. And that consists of a phone number in the world today. But they gave us cell phone numbers. They exchanged numbers with the Christians in the area. Uh, the Christians in the area promised follow-up. And in fact, some of our work, the second and third day, was actually going back and visiting the people who'd made commitments the previous days. And in every case we went, not only did the person own their commitment the next day, but they had invited some of their friends to come to their house or to come to their business to also hear the gospel and to understand what they had, the commitment they had made the previous day. So it was a really remarkable first few days of street evangelism and of sharing the gospel and of just being plugged in at that level was really spiritually invigorating for me. Then the second part of my training was, or my trip, was a pastor training event. Um, I actually left the city we were working in and, and went to another city um, and, uh, where there's a pretty significant network of house churches and uh, other small churches that are working in that area. When I say significant network, uh, about 1,500 of these churches have been formed in the past uh, 15 years. And... Um, and the pa many of the pastors came from, from these churches, and, and, and not just the pastors of each little church, but some of the leaders of the networks, if you will, came. And so I had uh, uh, two days of training. Uh, they asked me to teach a biblical model for church ministry, and so that was easy for me. I, I taught from my book, The Case for Antioch. And uh, with a translator, just tried to walk through uh, signs of a healthy church and what that looked like in Antioch. And then rather than try to tell them what it should look like in their culture, uh, we used a dialogical approach. And so uh, my, my, the missionary partners there had, had uh, kind of put this together. And so I would teach for a while what the Bible said about the church in Antioch. And I would talk about uh, the principles from Scripture that form healthy church life. And then we would say now... You've heard these principles. Here are two questions about each principle for you to dialogue about. And so they would get in groups then, and they would try to dialogue about application. And then, uh, and believe me, that dialogue was, was, in, was vigorous and invigorating because they were really excited about applying the Bible and really building churches that really follow a biblical model. And then um, after that, then they'd have some share uh, in a larger group, some of the core key insights that they had. And uh, we followed that pattern <clears throat> for about eight to ten hours over those two days of training. And uh, it was intense, it was enjoyable, it was invigorating. Uh, it was just a good, th good time to be with brothers and to see the gospel and, and teaching about ecclesiology or sound church life, just to see that come alive and to re realize that the Bible is true everywhere and that figuring out how to understand it, how to apply it, how to put it into practice is a, a transcultural experience as all of us are working together uh, to do that. Well, that was my trip in a nutshell. I, I went there to do street witnessing and pastor training, and I was able to accomplish both things and really enjoyed uh, the, uh, the experiences. Now let me just give you some other observations uh, about the trip itself. Um, I'd like to say, first of all, how important it is that Southern Baptists support full-time on-the-field missionaries as the backbone or the foundation of our work. Now, I, I hear today a lot of different alternatives. We could, I hear people say, well, we, we don't need missionaries because we can use technology to get the gospel all around the world. 
Uh, we don't need missionaries because we can uh, work more effectively with national leaders, and we'll talk about that in a moment. We don't need missionaries because we, uh, we can send short-term people. You know, every church is a missions organization, and every church should be sending missionaries, and every church should have a mission field that it's working in. And I get all that. And while there is some germ of truth in all of that, and there is some contribution that can be made to the mission movement by all those means, I'm telling you, when you get on the field and you see the value of a full-time, language-trained, culturally aware missionary, you see how significant that is for the advancement of God's kingdom all around the world. Uh, you know, I went into two you know, major cities uh, in, in climates that were in uh, spiritual and cultural climates that were totally foreign to me. And yet, because of the missionaries who live there and have lived there and, and, the, and the language skills they have and the cultural understanding they have, they were able to plug me in in a way that I would have never, ever been able to do. In fact, I, I lost track and quit counting uh, the number of ways and the number of times that I was about to make a mistake or would have made a mistake if the missionary hadn't been there to say, hey, here's what you need to do or here's what you need to say or here's how this needs to be done. Um, and I, I just can't say enough about the importance of that role. And so, listen, uh, whatever your church is doing to send and support full-time, language-trained, culturally aware missionaries, double down and do more of it because they are still the backbone of what needs to happen for us all around the world. Now, uh, while I, I don't want to diminish that at all, another aspect of my trip that I want to highlight was the importance of interfacing with and working with national leaders. You know, one of the things that I think some Southern Baptists uh, particularly have as a uh, kind of a subtle uh, expectation or a subtle assumption is that people in other countries are objects of our mission. In other words, we know what we're doing and we have the gospel and we're supposed to go there and tell them the gospel and then tell them how, what to do with the gospel and, 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 and all of the things that go with that. I'm not saying every one of us has that assumption. I just think that's sort of a subtle assumption that courses through a lot of our verbiage and our mentality and our strategies related to missions. Um, missionaries understand, however, that national leaders really are full partners in the gospel process. Uh, they understand that national leaders um, have to be trusted and empowered that they're equal partners in the, in the process and that they have to be brought to a place really where they're in the lead and they're taking the initiative in order to really see the gospel uh, become indigenous and become enculturated and really expand rapidly uh, in, in a given context. And it's subtle, but every one of us can fall into the temptation of seeing ourselves and our world as sort of at the center and everything else around us as either peripheral uh, or an object of the mission that we're supposed to be accomplishing. One of the missionaries actually told me this story. He said he was training uh, pastors and talking about the importance of every church having a mission, a missional vision or a global vision. And he was using the Acts 1-8 mode and he was talking about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, and he was talking about that he had come to work among them because they were representative of the uttermost parts of the earth. And uh, after a little while, one of the national leaders raised his hand and said, I know you consider this the uttermost parts of the earth, but it looks a lot like my Jerusalem to me. And that missionary said that was like a cold slap across the face when he realized that 
his worldview and his perspective on the world was so dominant in his mind, and he thought it wasn't, but it was, that he was saying to the people he was training, I've finally gotten here with the gospel, and we're at the end of the earth. And they were saying, no, we, we understand that, but the, this is Jerusalem for us. And so teach us about how to work in Jerusalem, not the ends of the earth. And then challenge us to take the gospel someplace else where we will be able to extend it someplace as a, as a partner with you going to the ends of the earth. So that's just one illustration of what I'm talking about uh, that I found kind of humorous is this missionary in the field was telling me how he had also had to keep growing in this area. But I just can't emphasize enough how good it was to go there, partner up with these national leaders, see what they're doing encourage them as full partners, learn from them, respect them, ask them questions, gain insight into ministry. It was really, really a positive aspect of the trip for me. Uh, another good thing about this trip was it underscored for me the positive role that short-term mission teams can have in the overall uh, engagement, global engagement with the gospel. Now, you know, a few weeks ago on the, on the previous podcast, I talked about some of the positive and negative aspects. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I emphasized some negatives on there that, uh, that may have seemed like I, I wasn't really positive or excited about short-term missions. But, of course, in the previous podcast, I tried to balance that out. But I just, again, balance it out even more today. Yeah, there are some negative things that can happen with short-term mission teams and short-term mission approaches. But there's a lot of positive that can happen. Uh, you know, Short-term mission teams and short-term mission trips are a primary source of new missionaries. They, they connect churches and, and, and other organizations to global needs. They, they, I think they facilitate increased generosity as you go there and see the needs of the world. You can't help but be more motivated to live more frugally and send more money to other places. And, and frankly, they're also a source of meaningful work about the gospel getting done. I mean, the gospel does get shared and people are saved because short-term teams go to the field. And we saw all four of these happening uh, as a result of our short-term trip. First of all, uh, one of the primary goals for us was taking students on the trip so that some of them might get a greater vision for the world and some who are considering missions would make a commitment to long-term missionary service and others who had never even thought about it. Uh, but just went on the trip just to go and to explore and to have a new experience, they'll come back saying maybe God is calling them. And so um, we definitely connected to global needs. We, I think there will be increased generosity as we come back and see the needs and continue to give to them. And meaningful gospel work was done. I mean, people are going to go to heaven because our team was there. Uh, we were able to multiply the evangelistic efforts of the local churches that are in that area and do even more for them or even more than they could do uh, by being there, being present, and by sharing the gospel. And by the fact that we were from another culture, that we definitely stood out. I mean, I was in a, in a, in a neighborhood where there were hundreds of thousands of people in a two or three square mile area of a multi-million uh, population city, and I was the only Anglo person. I mean, I, I was definitely someone that stood out, and definitely people wanted to know what I was doing there, and definitely people wanted to talk about that. And so because of that, people were attracted, they were willing to listen, and some heard the gospel and came to Christ the first time. And it, and it was exciting because we went into one home, and um, and the person sharing the gospel said, you know, I've come here to, to talk with you today about your family and your community and also your religious perspective and to share some of mine. And uh, so when they started sharing, our, our student said, so let me ask you, uh, have you ever heard of a person named Jesus? And the other person said, no, no who is he? I mean, that's, that, there's something that just grips your heart about that. 
where you realize you're sitting down with a person, here's, here's a young woman, maybe late 20s, who's never heard of Jesus. And this is not a person that's remote. This is a person with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a smartphone in her hand, uh, living in a major urban city in our world, and, and yet no, no concept of Jesus. And so just knowing that, that the short-term team had the direct result of gospel sharing being done was, was pretty significant. So I want to underscore that uh, short-term teams have a great value, and I'm glad I was a part of one uh, these, this last week. Well, last of all, I've talked about what we did and some observations about the short-term trip and what that can mean, our short-term missions and what they can mean. But now, uh, let me just talk so, for the last part of the podcast on what I'll just say is a kind of a personal impact or a personal perspective that the trip had on me. Uh, first of all, the, the trip really helped to restore uh, a global perspective for me. You know, when you live in the U.S. and you deal with all the stuff I deal with in the Southern Baptist Convention, it is so easy to become so myopically focused on the things that people tell me are really important, but really they're not. Uh, they're so local and they're so localized within our denomination that you forget that there is a global perspective on what's happening in the world, and maintaining that perspective is so vital for a leader, especially someone like me who's trying to shape people with a global worldview and a global mindset for ministry. So going uh, around the world and immersing myself in a different culture and meeting a lot of different people and sharing the gospel in different contexts and seeing that not one person in those communities of millions of people in those cities we were visiting uh, really is paying any attention to a lot of the stuff that's going on in the U.S. media that everyone thinks is, and especially U.S. social media, that everyone thinks is just so important in the moment, not important at all to them. So getting a global perspective on what's really happening in our world and what's really important and what I'm really supposed to be talking about on a daily basis was really helpful to me. A second impact for me personally was I was confronted once again with global lostness and particularly with the power of sin and how it damages and even, I will say, destroys people. You know, I went into this culture where we were working where uh, a different worldview prevails and different religions dominate. And uh, the brokenness was just evident. Trash piled everywhere, people living uh, without hope, people with uh, very little expectation that life's going to be any different tomorrow than it is today, uh, people uh, grappling with things that, that we go, we're, we're sort of up in arms about in America, abortion, sexual abuse, child abuse, child neglect. Uh, these are everyday occurrences in most places in the world, and people are so accustomed to them that they become almost jaded to them. And that's sad, but it confronted me once again with the power of sin, the, the scope of lostness, and the impact that, that, that these things have in the, in the lives of people. I, I, uh, uh, I just couldn't help but look at the, into the eyes of children, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children that I saw on this trip. And wonder, uh, you know, what their poss what their future possibilities were, and 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 what the future was going to be like for them, and and you know, my heart just went out, and I, I you know, I mean, you just want to stay and, and try to do something to solve, but you realize uh, the 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 weight of sin, the problem of lostness, and the crushing generational impact of that over the centuries has just made such a negative impact in our world. It was it was heartbreaking to me, but in contrast to that. I was also reminded of the power of the gospel. 
when, when, when you ask a person, have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? And they say, no. And you say, well, let me tell you about him. And you start with, uh, you know, God created the world, and God created a world that uh, was designed to work beautifully and for people to live in harmony and for people to have real peace and satisfaction and happiness. But something broke, but, but our world is broken, and that brokenness comes because of sin. But Jesus came to repair that. And then you explain the gospel, and you ask a person if they'd like to believe in Jesus. And some say, I'm not sure, I'm not I'm not able, I don't want to, I, I, I don't understand. But some say, yes, y- yes, I want this. And you can see in their countenance that they've been looking for something like this, and they didn't even know where to look, didn't even know what they could find, didn't even think it was possible. But when they hear about the fact that God loves them, hope is possible, sin can be forgiven, life can be ri- enriched, man, they, 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 they want to follow Jesus Christ. And so I believe, again, in the power of the gospel. And I saw it evidenced in the conversions of people that we talked with, but even uh, more so, I saw it evidenced in the lives of church members and church leaders that we interfaced with, hundreds and hundreds of them that are living the gospel every day and seeing it transform them and their families and their communities. Another personal impact for me was uh, this trip reinforced my efforts and my convictions about ignoring frivolous issues. You know, I was asked recently um, this question, Dr. Orge, what do you think about? And they filled in the blank with a pressing social media concern that's rattling around in the Southern Baptist Convention these days. Dr. Orge, what do you think about? And I responded, I, I don't. They said, well, what do you mean? You-, you don't this or you don't that? And I said, no, I, I don't think about that. I-, I try not to think about frivolous things. Uh, and so much in our world, especially on social media, and especially in our denomination these days, is so frivolous. Now, I'm not talking about substantive issues. I know that, for example, our denomination is grappling with and working hard on issues of sexual abuse and harassment, and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a lot of the other stuff that gets thrown around on a daily basis that just seems so important in the moment, but really, really isn't. I've just determined that I want to talk about what really matters, and I want to spend my time on substantive issues, and this trip really helped me to see that, because when you get in a culture like we were in and you start talking to people, you realize, I've only got a few minutes for a conversation with a person that I will never see again. What do I really want to communicate to them? That's what I mean. Not spending time on frivolous issues, but getting down to the gospel and to what really matters and staying focused on that. And then the last thing, I guess, on a personal basis is the trip motivated me to do even more to send our best and brightest overseas as missionaries. You know, I've been working here at the seminary for 15 years, and we've sent out dozens and dozens of pastors and missionaries and other kind of religious workers. But I, I sometimes tell you it gets wearisome. You think, well, really, are we making a difference? Does it matter? Um, but it does. It really does. And I saw several of our graduates on the field doing work, and I, I just uh, thought, man, This is what it's really all about, getting more people here. And not just getting people here, but getting our best and our brightest here. So the trip motivated me to come home and do my job more effectively. And so I hope to really double down as the next school year comes around to making sure that we're doing everything we can to get as many people as we can, as well-trained as we can, so they can go all over the world with the gospel. So on mission this summer, uh, it was a good trip. Uh, I enjoyed street evangelism. I enjoyed training pastors. 
Uh, it was a good reminder that uh, short-term missions can make a significant contribution. National leaders matter, and full-time missionaries are essential to the work we're trying to do. And then I've given you some personal reflections here at the end, just talking about the impact the trip had in my life. Uh, I want to reflect on it more as the next weeks unfold and let it sink in more deeply and change me more profoundly. Uh, these are the kinds of experiences that shape us as we try to do our work as we lead on.